0: Today I return to the podcast with an interview I have been wanting to do for several years, and that is with Patrick Shaver, a former police officer who is now a filmmaker. We are discussing his first documentary called Officer Involved. The film examines deadly use of force incidents and the impact on the officer. Over several years, Patrick interviewed law enforcement from around the country, men and women all with a range of backgrounds, ethnicities, and experiences about their incident and the devastation and emotional toll it took on them. He also interviewed mental health experts who have researched and written about the subject. We are all painfully aware of the tragedy surrounding deadly use of force on those lost and their loved ones. This film and Patrick's interview shed light on the part of the story that is rarely discussed. What happens to the officer after the trigger is pulled. My goal in sharing this story, as it is with my podcast, is to tell the stories of law enforcement that don't get told, to help us all better understand what the job really is, that there are human beings behind that badge, and to show the complexity of what it means to be a police officer. Patrick, welcome to the podcast. I have wanted to talk to you for a long time. I saw Officer Involved a few years ago. It was so emotional. It had such an impact on me that, as I said, I have wanted to talk to you ever since I saw it. It's such an important topic. I summarized it briefly in the open, but how would you describe the film?
1: So, Officer Involved is a documentary that looks at the experience of the police officer after the shooting. It doesn't get into the details so much about why the officer pulled the trigger. And that was very intentional from my perspective as the filmmaker. And so what we set out to do was just ask officers, after you pulled the trigger, what happened with you? What happened next? And that became that documentary.
0: I know you were a police officer, I believe, when you started this. Yes. And one of the things that someone said to you you know why don't you just shoot the tires out on the car why don't you just shoot them in the leg in the arm and that seemed to have prompted something in you to embark on this journey
1: yeah that was actually the the big catalyst for this i was out to dinner with my friend phil and he's not really the type of guy that has a lot of nice things to say about law enforcement officers we were sitting over dinner one night and he Just said, I don't understand why cops can't shoot somebody in the arm or the leg or shoot the tires off the car. The the things that people who don't understand law enforcement, the things that, that they talk about. At the same time, I had another friend. My friend David had gone through a shooting. And this is a guy that I had gone to calls with before as a police officer. And he was a great guy. He is a great guy. But he was in the street. He was working a detail And his special assignment was to stop people from breaking into cars. So a call came up. There's a person breaking into a car behind this building. So he went there. He met the man breaking into the car, tried to stop him. The man pulled out a gun and said, let me go or I'm going to shoot you. And then David shot and the man died. The very next time I saw him, he was a completely different person. He was just subdued. And... You could tell that he had a lot on his plate right now because of this situation. So fast forward a couple months to this dinner conversation and I'm telling my friend, look, I've got a, I've got a friend that just went through this shooting. Cops don't want to do that. We don't want to shoot anybody and it can really screw up your life. And we made an agreement that night that if I could find something on film that showed what an officer experiences after a shooting, he would watch it with me. I went home, I talked to my wife I said, let's make it, let's make this documentary because I can't find it. I've looked everywhere, I can't find anything that even comes close. That is a sort of a legendary conversation because over the next few years we embarked on a mission that really altered the course of our lives in my career. Tell me more about that. I sat down and I started planning, how do I wanna tell this story? And I went right to David and I said, you've, you've inspired me to make a documentary about what officers experience after a shooting. In between that conversation and the one with my wife, I had read every book I could find about officer-involved shootings. And I told my friend, I'd like to base this on your story. I'd like it to be heavily about you. And he said, yes, let's do it. I'd love to. As I was preparing to meet with him, I also reached out to some other officers. and, And then officers from across the country started reaching out to me because I was a police officer that wanted to tell the story. I Never imagined that it would turn into what it did But as people started reaching out to me and then I reached out to other people and of course the experts who had written these books I spoke with them as well It it became a bigger project than what I started out to make
0: And I have to believe quite the emotional journey
1: it was yeah, it was a really emotional journey we were interviewing police officers who hadn't hadn't shared their story with anyone but they were telling us things that they didn't even tell their spouses. And we are now experiencing this firsthand and being entrusted to tell this story and to do it the right way. There was never any doubt in my mind that the movie was going to be about the experience of the officer after the shooting. It wasn't going to be about why did you shoot? Why didn't you shoot? It it wasn't important for the film because when you make a documentary about this topic, And Let's say you want to explain why a police officer shot two people can debate whether or not he or she shouldn't have shot And you can debate all day and if I were to make a documentary that talked about why they shot Half the population wouldn't watch it because of how that's presented So we ruled that out completely What doesn't change is the aftermath of the shooting. That's something that's shared among everyone and Some people had more difficulty than others, some people didn't have difficulty at all, but there are shared experiences after the officer-involved shooting.
0: Well, and you say in the open to the film that while traditional narratives have tended to focus on the devastation and the confusion wrought by the bullets fired, little attention has been placed on the experience of the police officer who pulled the trigger and the chain reaction of events that follows. And what struck me was the sheer devastation, the tears that still came 30 f- years later, just the pain. You know, the one officer who says, I see her face every day. The officer now chief who said, I came home and I, all I wanted was a hug from my wife and she didn't hug me and the chief, who goes and sits with the family of the person who has been killed, understandably, but not with the officer. I understand there is a family who is devastated by the loss of their loved one, but there is loss and trauma for the officer as well. And I just think it would help people to know that. And going back to your open, no one talks about it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and early on when I was presenting the idea for this documentary, a lot of people told me that This couldn't happen that people would be opposed to it. Nobody's going to share their story. I found that to be absolutely false And I acknowledged that the reason they shared their stories with me was because I was a police officer They trusted me to make this film at the same time You're not wrong for what you experience after a shooting. That's not up for debate the the details of the shooting like I said already two people can debate that any day of the week, but what we can't debate is the personal feelings Emotions that you went through the experiences that you had after the bullet left the gun and Early on I had met with somebody to Attempt to get a grant to make this film. I sat with this person who I won't mention I presented this idea to him that we're going to talk just about the experience of the officer after a shooting and he told me That's not a documentary. That's propaganda yeah and so my first reaction to that was no propaganda gets funded and so it can't be propaganda and there's no one behind this this is me this is me trying to show the toll that the shooting takes on the officer and it, and it was presented to me that to make that kind of a documentary you need to show the toll on both sides and and so what i said is all you have to do is turn on the news all you have to do is watch how it's being presented in the media we're we're getting that perspective when an officer fires a gun and somebody is killed or really badly wounded lives are destroyed and we're getting that part of the narrative we understand that what we don't understand is what happens once the once the officer leaves the scene when the officer goes home knowing that he's taken a life so that was my my effort with this film was to to show that to sort of show a look behind the curtain because police officers are trained to be stoic. We're we're trained and conditioned not to show our emotions when in reality a situation like this is highly emotional and your life is going to get flipped upside down. You are no longer the police officer after an officer involved shooting you're a suspect in a homicide or an assault case. Yes, you're you're still the police officer, but you're, you're going to be treated as a suspect for most cases. That, there are some exceptions to that. When you shoot the hostage taker, who's clearly got a gun to someone's head and is going to do imminent damage, um, for the most part, you stop an active shooter. In, in those situations, you'll, you'll be heralded as a, a hero. I say for the most part. But, but what happens when you go home? What happens when you lay in bed at night? And what happens when you come back to work and the first call comes up and it's your first call since you shot and killed someone however long ago. And that's what we are trying to show with this film.
0: How would you describe the reactions that you got?
1: They were varied. Most people had recurring thoughts. They questioned, could this have had a different outcome? Most most people felt that way. Some people went into i'm careful with the term ptsd but some people went into really bad traumatic symptoms that went on and on for years and years after the shootings some people had religious concerns some people had really bad experiences with the media i I could tell you stories of officers i've spoken with who were presented a certain way in the media and that's that wasn't the facts of the case that was just the media doing their job now I don't say it's I don't say that to say it's their job to skew facts but when an officer is involved in a shooting and the media comes out it's their job to present a story and they're going to present a story whether we talk to them or not so in some of these cases maybe a lot of information wasn't forthcoming to the media and rightly so it's it's an active investigation but in these cases it was presented a certain way and then it took months uh weeks if not months for the actual information to come out and correct that narrative.
0: You also talk with experts in the film. I wanted to talk about Alexis, the PhD and her insights. Yes,
1: yeah, so Alexis Artwald. she spent most of her career working with police officers as a police psychologist.
0: Well, and so she says, think about the profession where having to take someone's life is part of your job and you hit the streets she says, you would be derelict if you're in that situation where you have to protect yourself or someone else. You would be derelict in your duties not to do so. And you do it under life and death stress, and they do it very well. And then when it's over, they are now, as you were just saying, de facto suspects in a felony crime. One of my officers that I recently interviewed said, When the incident's over, it's not over for the officer. Right. It's just beginning.
1: Yes. What people that don't know the facts of officer-involved shootings or how they're handled afterwards, what they don't think about is that police officers have to obey local law, state law, federal law, some cases even tribal law. And then in the end, they will go through the gamut of investigations. And it's not to clear the officer. It's just to understand what happened and whether or not the officer did something wrong.
0: Let's talk about the Cincinnati officer, which you highlight in the write-up of the film, because his incident led to riots in 2001, April 2001 in Cincinnati. Stephen Roach. I watched this officer go through the retelling of this. It is clear the level of pain that he is in, the devastation that he feels. He is clearly forever changed by this incident and his role in it. You know, I'm not speaking right now from the s- viewpoint of the family. I understand that. But in the media, it's described as an unarmed black teenager. Mm-hmm. But in the moment that officer is confronting him, I believe they knew he had warrants. Yes. He's fleeing police. He goes for his waistband. He reveals his hand. And in that moment, that officer thinks he has a gun. Mm-hmm. And as a result, he shoots.
1: Yeah, it's in, in that situation, it's a split-second decision. If, you, if you're the officer in the moment and you actually interpret that someone has a gun and in, insert the scenario, it can be a low-light condition and somebody pulls out their cell phone to record you. But in that moment, if that officer interprets that as a firearm, then there's, there's a split-second to make that decision. And in in Stephen's case, he was wrong. I And I want to be careful about how he used that word wrong. And in that instance, he judged it wrong because uh, Timothy Thomas wasn't armed. Timothy Thomas was probably pulling up his pants. Was he going to surrender? I don't know. Was he going to pull up his pants and run the other way? I don't know. There were lots of police officers there. But in that moment, Officer Roach interpreted it as going for a gun, and, and that happened not to be the case. So an unarmed young man was shot. And this is the type of situation. Two lives are destroyed here. There's multiple, multiple lives are destroyed here. But for the sake of the conversation, two lives are destroyed. The young man who didn't have a firearm who was shot and killed, and now the officer who made a split-second decision where if he could go back, he would make a different decision.
0: Do you... To attribute that to training, fear, or that's just how he read the situation.
1: Well, you can get all the training in the world, but you will come upon situations as a police officer where you you have to make a decision. It's one of those things that will be judged by the totality of the circumstances. And, you know, th- this is one of the reasons why I don't like to talk about specific officers that are in the media right now because there's so much we don't know. These investigations take months. I've seen investigations take five years.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it'll be a long time before a lot of these facts are known. Of course, I can look at a video and say, man, that looks really, really bad. But maybe when the body cam footage comes out, it shows a different perspective. Or maybe there was more known at the time. Maybe there was a weapon recovered and it just wasn't talked about. Mm. All these things come out later. But when the police officer's there in the moment... In these tense moments they're they're making a split second decision. If an officer has time, time is our best friend as a police officer if you've got time you've got some distance uh, you can wait if you've got cover you can you can probably wait D- depending on whether there's innocent bystanders around because that also makes it a little bit murky. but if you've got time then You can take another moment but if you don't have time if you're in that tense moment and you make that decision you're going to have to live with the circumstances and the the results of that decision that you've made
0: and the i think the hardest part was when you ask him will you still be have you told your kids and do you think you'll still be a hero in their eyes and then he starts to cry
1: yeah yeah that was really difficult for him and afterwards he he uh, kind of punched me in the shoulder for asking him about his kids. But to to me, that was one of the most powerful parts of his interview, because if you go back in time and you look at how he was presented at the time, the, the court case, the the media coverage of it, he was really presented as a, a monster that had made a terrible decision, right? And And I'm not sitting here right now saying he did make the right decision. I'm not saying that at all. But he made a decision. And all these years later the stephen roach that i met that i got to know was not the stephen roach as as he was portrayed in the media he was an emotional guy he was a dad he was a husband and he had emotions he has regrets as well I, and i i think this is true for for most police officers that are involved in a shooting where there is some question later if they could go back they they would handle it differently
0: i Did want to mention in Stephen's case, you talked with one of the community members, a pastor who led the protests in 2001. When I see the pastor say to you, I have nothing to say to him, my heart just broke.
1: To me, still, that is one of the most powerful parts in the film because it speaks to that pastor's feelings about it all all these years later, that he didn't have anything to say to the officer. And I do want to point out that when I did the Stephen Roach case in the film, this was one of two stories where I actually did talk about the lead up to the shooting. But in this case, I included the pastor who led the community in protest. When I spoke with Stephen Roach for the first time, I told him, I am going to interview the pastor. It's, It's not to make you look bad, but if I'm going to get into the history of your case, I want the other perspective as well. And he was okay with that. But interviewing this pastor all these years later, when I asked him if you could say anything to this officer, what, what would you say? And, and he just said, "I don't have anything to say to to the officer." Yeah, that that part to me is one of the most powerful parts of the film. I think it illustrates just the the depth that's the the gap that's in between these sides. I, and I also don't like to present police as being a side, right? Because police are on on the side of. Society, right? They they in, enforce for the most part law and order, but it, including the pastor really illustrated that gap between these two people.
0: Right? Did you get insight from their point of view?
1: Um, I I did, but to understand the Cincinnati story in its totality, you would really need to go back and look at what was happening at the time. A number of black civilians had been killed at the hands of police officers over a number of years. Now, three police officers had also been killed in these situations. But what Stephen Roach was essentially, he was the, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. I had several people tell me that this couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Mm. And But if you, if you go back and look at what was happening in Cincinnati, and Heather McDonald wrote a book are cops racist or are police officers racist? And it was a really interesting book, but she unpacked everything that was happening in Cincinnati at the time with this number of African-American men who were killed at the hands of police officers. So there was a lot going on, and then the Stephen Roach Timothy Thomas case happened. It didn't just happen out of the blue.
0: Okay. Well, and to sort of go in a complete opposite direction, there's also the story of Keith Garner, and I don't know exactly what his incident was, but I gather he shot a male, and then in your film he says years later he's working a checkpoint, and he's looking at licenses. A woman pulls up, hands him her license, and it's the wife of the man whose life he had taken, correct? Yes. And she says, do I know you? And he says, yes ma'am. And she says, I've been praying for
1: you. It's just such a beautiful moment because you never hear about this. You never hear about officers meeting up with family again and, and whether or not there was any kind of reconciliation. Obviously hindsight is always twenty twenty. And And I just wanna be clear for your listeners, that this officer that we're talking about, he was actually fired upon first. He returned fire. Mm, okay. So he was fired upon first with a shotgun, and he returned fire. And when he returned fire, he killed the person. Yeah, I, I loved that moment, that exchange between those two people. And and then he tells her, well, I appreciate it. I I need all the prayer I can get.
0: Right. A lot of my thoughts when watching the film, it's important for these officers, I think, to help them cope with what they've been through. I'm hoping that this was a cathartic film for them.
1: Probably more than a hundred occasions I've had officers come up to me and just say, thank you for making that because that described my story. That, That made everything that I went through make sense to see it from other people.
0: At the same time, I thought, all command staff needs to see this movie. Every chief, every command staff of every department in this country needs to understand what their officers are going through. And then the third thing I thought is every officer who hits the street goes out there knowing this could happen to them on any given day.
1: Yes, on any given day. These these aren't situations where officers go out to shoot someone. They are trained to deal with situations and, and Keep in mind most police officers will go their entire career without ever firing a gun outside of a shooting range and that's that's normal but every once in a while a situation happens it's escalated and then the officer makes a decision for for whatever reason the officer makes that decision and then there there will be fallout we as citizens think that police officers get involved in a lot of shootings but but shootings are not the default the default is a, a peaceful encounter, or maybe another a step above that. Right? Shootings are the rarity. So if you were to ask police officers, how many times have you drawn your gun and not shot? I, for me, I can tell you ten times, but I, but I didn't, because either the circumstances changed, or it was a situation where it wasn't warranted. And most people will go through their career without shooting anybody.
0: Well, the other ones that you know struck me are the office, the one. At least one officer who said i decided i wasn't gonna shoot i'm gonna let them shoot me first yes. shoot at me first because there's crowds around they'll see and then i just pray they don't shoot me in the face
1: yes yep and and that w- that was ann lavelle he was in a situation and he decided after that i i can't do this job anymore and
0: really? power
1: to him for making that decision that he couldn't do the job anymore. It doesn't it, it doesn't mean that you're weak that you can't do the job anymore. Once you've been involved in a shooting, your life is turned upside down. Yeah. And he had been through it several times and now he's in a situation where there is somebody shot, there is somebody on the ground, there's a shooter with a gun and he's saying I'm just going to let him shoot me first so everybody will know that he shot at me first. That's a dangerous mindset.
0: Right. I also found Yolanda's story so painful. Can you describe her story, her incident?
1: Yes. She had perhaps the most horrific of all of the officers I interviewed, perhaps the most horrific story. She was dispatched to a call where a child had been thrown out a window. And I want to say it was a five to a seven-year-old. And the child went next door to the neighbor's house and said, Mommy is inside hurting my sister. She threw me out the window and the neighbor called the police when Yolanda got there with other police officers and they walked in the house, the mother was, I'm going to spare the details, the mother was in the act of murdering another child. And it had already happened. The child was gruesomely murdered in the mother's arms while she rocked back and forth in a rocking chair. They didn't know that at the time. They thought that she was actively murdering the child, so they opened fire on her and... and, tried to stop it from happening until they took the the fatal shots but with Yolanda one of the first things that happened in the media is the media questioned whether or not the officers had shot the child that was deceased so keep in mind not only does she experience this real life horror show and I've seen the crime scene photos I, 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 I won't share those with other people I've seen what had happened in that house so she's seen that now that's imprinted on her mind and She goes home that night, and she's got to ask herself, did I shoot the child? Oh. I don't think I did, but the media saying I did. And it it took a while for the information to come out.
0: She looks really broken up.
1: She was. She was. And she has since changed careers. It wasn't long after the interview that she decided that she wasn't going to be in law enforcement anymore. And she thanks me for putting her story in this film. But she credits this with with part of her recovery, just to talk with her, she's a completely different person. So she has dealt with some of that trauma.
0: Well, and I think she even says, cause you get into a section of the film uh, with some of your experts where you talk about the TV influenced idea of where we started at the beginning, just shoot him in the hand, just shoot him in the knee, just tase him, And I think she says, we tried that.
1: They did try to shoot her in the legs to stop her because she was sitting in a rocking chair, rocking back and forth. And it didn't work. There, there, there are several bullet wounds in her legs that didn't stop her.
0: So as you see things unfold today, so the film, you started the film, I believe, in 2013? Yes. And released in 2017? Yes. The issue of officer-involved shootings is, I think, even more prevalent in the news now. It does seem to me that the current point of view is that all use of force is wrong, especially deadly use of force. How do these news stories affect you, knowing what you know, having interviewed these officers, and seeing the the devastation that the experience has brought them?
1: Well, I I do want to say that although yes we. We still see this, and I think right now it's almost worse or more prevalent in the media than it was a couple of years ago. What we also see now, too, is more of an effort to bring out these perspectives. You'll see the occasional journalist write a story about officers coping with trauma and what they've experienced. But it it, it bothers me. We're, We're always just one shooting away from being denigrated in the media again. There's there's really no back to normal. But the problem with the media, and I I want to be careful how I use this term, the media, because I know people who work in the media who aren't like this, who who aren't looking for these terrible headlines to exploit. But there are still situations where you've got reporters that will take a case and will exploit it and... It's hard to come back from that. See, I still get contacted by journalists and reporters who would like commentary on an officer involved shooting. And I, I really appreciate that because they're they're actively looking to add some perspective. People need to remember that there are two sides to the gun. There's the, the person who is hurt or killed, and then there's the police officer who pulled the trigger. And uh, I, I really wish more would watch the film. It it does bother.
0: What do you want someone to come away with when they see the film?
1: I want them to watch the film and then say, oh, wow, they are, they are human. They don't just shoot as many people as they can. They do deal with a lot after a shooting. They do have regret. They, they do have remorse. And in a case like Stephen Roach, I want people to, to look at that case for what it is and say, oh, wow, that, that was a split-second decision that was a really bad situation that haf- happened afterwards. That's that's what I want people to take away. I want them to see that while we as, as citizens can turn the page, police officers can't. This becomes part of their life story. And you've essentially got two people who have probably never met each other. They're brought together in this moment, this split second in time. And then their lives will now be wrapped around each other for eternity, for better or worse. So I want people to see that. I don't know that I've met a police officer who I felt went out there to try to hurt someone that day. But like I said, any, any two people can debate an officer-involved shooting. I don't really debate shootings anymore with people I used to. But, and, and what I just wanted people to understand was what was happening at the time. What were the circumstances? What did the officer go in believing, right? Because the police officer can't read the suspect's mind. If we could read their mind, if we had a little freeze gun where we could just hit the button and freeze. You know, in old TV shows, you could tell a suspect to freeze and their hands would go up. It's not like that in real life. These are rapidly evolving situations, tense moments, lack of options. It's essentially a crisis when an officer is called into one of these situations where they're drawing their firearm. Right.
0: I guess I should ask you what, you know, you asked everyone in the film, what made you decide to become a police officer?
1: I don't think anybody's ever asked me that before.
0: I'll bet not. Mm. The way you ask it is, did you always know you would be a police officer? Yeah.
1: I always wanted to be a hostage negotiator. I wanted to work for the FBI and get, be able to bring peace to these situations. Before I became a police officer, I got my master's degree in conflict management because I thought that, with a master's in conflict management, I'll make a better hostage negotiator. The time I was graduating from college, the economy was in the tank. These dreams that I had have changed because of the, the reality of the economic circumstances in the country. But at the same time, the Atlanta Police Department was hiring. I went one day because they were administering the test. Uh, I went in there and I took it. They called me and they brought my process forward. Had I not made that decision to join local law enforcement, none of this would happen. My films that have come out since wouldn't have happened. The films that I'm working on right now wouldn't have happened. I've been able to make five documentaries that show the human side of law enforcement. Officer Involved was just the first one, but all this stems from my career in law enforcement.
0: Did you like being a police officer?
1: I did, I loved it. I want to describe it like this. I once went to talk to a second grade class at a private school in uniform, and one of the kids asked me, should I be a police officer when I grow up? And I had to think for a moment about that. And what I told him is that if you want to go to work every day doing the best that you can do to make people's lives better, yes. If you want to be a police officer because you think it looks cool and you want people to like you, don't do it. What I loved about the job was, was being the guy that could go to these calls when there was a crisis Some of my most rewarding calls in my career were where I took extra steps to bring peace to these situations. Burglary calls where you've got a devastated homeowner who's lost their valuables. I go into the house and I can find fingerprints, and this happened on several occasions. After the suspect's gone, I've got the fingerprints. I find the guy and we can put him in jail now. Those were amazing moments. I miss being able to bring that that piece to people. I, I, I don't want to call anybody really a bad guy, but you miss catching people that try to victimize others.
0: Well, your passion for the profession certainly comes through in all of your films. I know you've made several. I wanted to touch on Dink Heller. I did watch it recently. Here is an officer who did the opposite of the officers and officer involved. He didn't fire and he paid with his life. What is his story?
1: Uh, just to sum it up really quickly, he made a traffic stop. During the traffic stop, the person started acting really strange, pulled a rifle out of his truck, and assassinated the police officer. And when I was in the academy, it was we saw the video, and it stuck with me through my time out on the streets. I thought about it a lot. Even when I was making officer involved, people would mention, Dinkheller, you know, what do you do? If you, if you don't take action fast enough, you end up like Kyle Dinkheller. So I reached out to his father. And I told him, I want to I show the world who your son was so that we have more than just one bad day. So here's this video that we're teaching. Yes, he was murdered at the side of the road. The tactical lessons have been learned. He gave the person too much time. He gave the person too much leeway. What's the reason? I don't know. He was a living, breathing human being that was in a bad situation. And for whatever reason, you can get an idea by watching the movie, but for whatever reason, he didn't take... Decisive action when he had the opportunity to.
0: Right. And the two films juxtapose with each other, I mean, it's such yeah. a natural next step, right? These officers who use deadly force and then this officer who doesn't, and as I said, pays with his life. The people that spend their time criticizing, hating the police don't think about the line of duty deaths. They don't think about... This could be that officer's last day. This could be that officer's last call. They don't think about the commitment they make, the sacrifice that they make, and the impact that has on uh, the loved ones they leave behind, but on the department.
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. The the departments will never be the same. Families will never be the same.
0: I know you have more films in the works, and I know that you are completely self-funded, so I wanted to have you talk a little bit about that.
1: What I want people to know is that we don't have big when I'm making a film it's it's being made with proceeds from my other works so I don't have a grant I don't have some gigantic sponsorship when you support us by buying our films or by bringing me out to put on a screening organizations will bring me in and we'll have a three-hour event where we show one of the films and then we'll talk about it Uh, sometimes for community sometimes just for officers I've also done private city council meetings Hmm. that funding comes back and enables me to keep making documentary film.
0: How do communities and city councils react to officer involved?
1: It makes them think, and it leads to lots of questions. I love it when a community comes out. I, I love the questions that we get because there's no bad question. A lot of people are coming out because they already support their department and they want to take part in a community event. Some people come out because they have reservations. And because I'm not a member of that police department, I don't speak for them but I can speak for the profession of law enforcement. I can tell you about the challenges. I can tell you about issues. I, can, I might even be able to tell you things that your own department can't tell you. We've always had such a positive reaction to our screenings, especially at colleges. I mean, we've got a younger generation there who might not necessarily have such favorable views towards police officers.
0: Do you think that um, departments have made progress in how they handle the wellness of an officer involved?
1: Generally speaking yes, I do. We're making progress. You've got departments that are creating entire peer support teams Where if an officer is involved in a shooting, they'll introduce them to another officer who's been involved in a shooting I think that's a really positive development.
0: What do you hope the impact of your body of work has?
1: I want people to see my body of work and I want them to, to take with them the thought that these people are humans that they're, they're just like anybody else, that these are community members and family members that go out there to make a difference. And sometimes bad things do happen, but that's, that's not the norm, that's, that's the exception. I want my body of work to stop and, and make people think that each police officer that's out there is an individual.
0: Well, Patrick, you've been very generous with your time and thought I'm very glad I finally had the chance to talk with you. Thank you for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: I encourage everyone to see all of your films.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
0: Patrick has a range of documentaries he's already made and is currently at work on more. He has a website where you can learn about all of his work and also purchase DVDs. The website is called officerinvolvedproject.com and I will include the link in the written description. As I said more than once, I highly recommend his films.